righty. Well, thank you, choir. Thank you, Wesley and Pam, for leading us into worship this morning. You have your Bibles, and I hope that you do. We'll be in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're looking at the first eight verses, the Apostle Paul's writing. So the title of the message this week, and if you got the email, you saw it, but it's Faith Looking Beyond the Sunset to the Sunrise. We know that sunsets are beautiful, amen? I mean, especially Brother Myron. They're pretty, isn't they? Sunsets are pretty, sunrises are pretty, but the focus of this message in Paul's writings, we're going to be looking beyond the sunset, looking toward the sunrise. And that's what we did in Easter. And, and uh, Ms. Jerry had asked me about taking this down, and I said, let's leave it up another week because we're going to talk about the resurrection for another Sunday. Today we're going to talk about the resurrection again. If you missed last Sunday, you'll know we're going to emphasize that. We're going to go back and we're going to look at it because resurrection is the most important thing about Christian belief. Amen? The resurrection is significantly important. So let's do a little bit of background. Let's just uh, work with me. I want to share, share some things with you. We'll look at this scripture together. We're going to open it up together. We're going to see what Paul says about the resurrection and what he talks about. Last Sunday, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. I know some of you weren't here. You're celebrating in other places. But we celebrated Resurrection Sunday. We talked about the celebration. We showed some things in celebration. It was a great day in God's house. Amen? It was an awesome day. We started with that early sunrise service. We had a, a lot of things going on, but it was a great day in God's house, and every day is a great day in God's house. But last Sunday, we focused on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We reflected back on the significance of God's love and how God raised Jesus from the grave, how he brought him out of the tomb. We had two services. We celebrated with two services. We had a full-course breakfast between those two services. We had people working hard to make sure that breakfast was just right. Amen. And it was just right. But we had two services. We had Sunday school in between the, uh, the two services before the second service. And every aspect of our time together last Sunday was focused on celebrating the risen Lord and Savior. That's what we were focusing on. That's what everything was prepared for. It was Easter Sunday. More people entered into the house of the Lord last Sunday than any other Sunday of the year. You agree with me on that? Yeah, more people stepped in the church last Sunday, 52 weeks out of the year. And that one Sunday brought more people into church than any other week of the year. But let me tell you something. This Sunday is not any different than last Sunday. And that's what I shared with you briefly in the announcements. But it's the same thing. That was Easter Sunday. We started making plans for Easter services months before it ever took place. We started talking about the, the sunrise service, how we were going to prepare for it, what we would do if it rained, if it was going to be wet and damp outside, if it was going to be cold if the mosquitoes were going to be bad. We were preparing for it. They were planning and ordering food for the, uh, for the breakfast. I mean, there was plans being made months before anything ever took place. But church, understand this. Easter is not simply a one-day event. It's not just a one-day event. We need to be preparing for it every single day. For Christians, Easter is a lifestyle for a lifetime. Amen. That's what it's all about, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Christian faith and our belief hinges on the fact that God raised Jesus from the grave. 
Now, there's some important things about this thing. We're going to talk about this this morning. There were some eyewitnesses that saw Jesus die on the cross. There were several people standing there. Some of the disciples were there at a distance. But there was a lot of people standing around the cross watching Jesus go through what he went through on the cross. They were there when he took his last breath, when he yielded his spirit to the Father. Man, there was people who saw it. There were eyewitnesses that saw Jesus die. There were witnesses who saw Jesus placed in the tomb. There were witnesses that saw him wrapped, his, his body wrapped up with the grave cloth. We know from, from our studies that, that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus put 70 pounds of spices on his body before it was wrapped in grave cloth, before he was put in the tomb. There were eyewitnesses that saw the stone being placed in front of the tomb. Now, we know there were multiple eyewitnesses because last week I shared with you the fact that that stone that sealed the tomb probably weighed in excess of three to 4,000 pounds. And when you look at the studies, it would have took 15 to 20 men to be able to place that stone in front of that tomb. And that's a lot of witnesses that knew Jesus was inside the tomb. A lot of people knew he was sealed inside that tomb. There was no way he was coming out of that tomb. There was witnesses each and every step of the way. And there were eyewitnesses that verified that the tomb was empty on the third day. Amen. There was ladies that went to the tomb to, to continue the burial process. They looked in the tomb and he was not there. There was a, 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 an angel standing there that said, he's not here. He's risen. He ain't here. There were just disciples that went because they didn't believe what the ladies told them to, to see for themselves. They were witnesses that saw that the tomb was empty on the third day. Now, let me tell you something. God can do anything he wants to do anytime, any place, in any manner. Amen. He can do whatever it is he wants to do. God can do anything. It seems to me that God was providing proof after proof after proof that Jesus Christ had been resurrected from the grave. You know, some people are slow learners, right? It takes a lot of people. They got to say, I've got to see it, man. And some people just takes them a little bit more effort. But it seems like God is just going over and over and over beyond trying to make sure that we know and we understand that Christ was dead that he was in the tomb, he was placed in the tomb, the tomb was sealed, but yet he arose from the grave. Amen? Now, we can all go home now. Y'all got it? It's similar. We're going to get into it, but that's what we're talking about this morning. Christ himself further provided proof during the time after the resurrection. For the next 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension into heaven, Christ himself goes on and on and says, hey, they ain't, they, they ain't picked up on it yet. They haven't learned enough. I'm going to reveal myself to them multiple times over the next 40 days because they're going to need a little bit of help because there's still some of my disciples that still don't believe it. There's still some, there's still some work that's left to do before his ascension. He's going to show them. Now, this morning, I want us to open up God's word together and see what the apostle Paul writes about the resurrection, about the importance of the resurrection. I want you to pay some special attention to some of this scripture. Now, and I'm going to point it out to you, but Paul's going to give us some importance of the resurrection that in his writings are some 50 to 60 years after the resurrection. So if you are able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 4. Now, I want you to pay close attention to verses 3 and 4. Starting in verse 1, it says, Now I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you receive, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, pay attention here, 
For I passed on to you the most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles, and last of all, As one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. Pray with me, please. Father God, I ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross. God, and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. In life, when someone tells you something that seems to be impossible, seems to be hard to believe, I mean, it can be just something that you just don't quite understand. Perhaps they share with you the events that took place in their life or somebody else's life, and you're just sitting there thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. You're just looking at them and, and trying to grasp what they're saying, or, or simply they tell you how big that fish was that they caught, or maybe how big that, was, that one was that got away, Right? That's the ones they really tell you about. That's the ones you don't get to see. Or maybe how big that rack a deer that a deer had on that was that called a, a boon and crockett. Y'all know what that is? Is that a big rack? Help me out, Daniel. Huh? Oh my goodness, Westcourt, all right. You think to yourself, there's simply no way that could have taken place. There's no way that could be what they say it is. You follow up the phrase we say, you're gonna have to what? Prove it to me. You're going to have to prove it to me. I I need proof. I just don't believe your word. I don't believe what you're saying. I've got to see it to believe it. You know what? Some people are visual learners, right? I've got to see it to believe. All I need is proof to confirm what you're telling me is true. We look at what Paul's writings, Paul understands the fact that during the time he's writing 1 Corinthians, during the time of the church of Corinth, these people needed proof. They needed facts. People needed proof then, and man, we need proof now sometimes, don't we? We sometimes we can't take it on somebody's word. People needed proof then and we need proof now. And Paul provided what they needed when they needed it. And the same thing today. Paul provided three truths. There's three truths we're going proofs we're going to talk about this morning. Three proofs that I want us to, to focus on this morning. Jason, you can put that slide up. And the first one is salvation. The next one is the gospel, and the next one is the witnesses. There's more to it than that, but these are the three things I want us to focus on this morning because these are all key parts of what Paul is writing in Corinthians, and I want us to take a good, strong look at each one of those. Paul had come to Corinth and preached the message of the gospel. He had preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He had told them what they, what they needed to know, and their faith had changed their lives, and it had made a significant difference in their lives. That's, that's the way Jesus Christ is. Man, you think about it when Christ walked on this earth, when he was talking to people and talking and, and performing miracle after miracle, what was happening to the lives of these people that he touched? Everyone that got around him was changed. Amen? People come to know him. They were changed. That's what Jesus did when he walked on this earth. That's what he's still doing when he's sitting in the right hand of the Father in heaven and now. He's still changing people's lives. Man, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your life changes radically and it changes forever. Now, this is a reexamination time. If your life is not any different now than it was before you came to know Christ, you need to reexamine your life. Amen? 
Because when Christ comes into you, when the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, your life will be different than it was before. Maybe there's some, some, some things we call backsliding and things like that, but your life will be different when Christ comes into your life. It change takes place. But even though placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is the greatest decision we'll ever make on this earth, even though that is the most important thing, even though that's the, the beginning of a relationship with Christ and that is very important, it's not the most important. The most important part of the gospel is the fact that Christ arose from the grave. He didn't stay in the tomb. The fact that Jesus Christ did not stay in the tomb and he did not remain in the grave and that God raised him from the grave is the most important thing about Easter. That's why we make it a big deal about on Easter Sunday. That's why we go to all the issues for preparation. That's why we celebrate Easter Sunday. As important as the preparation and the celebration of Easter Sunday is, it's all about the fact that God raised Jesus out of the grave and he did not stay in the tomb and this is an empty tomb right there where it's always been amen it's an empty tomb we don't serve a dead savior God raised him from the dead. We don't serve a dead Savior because a dead Savior can't save anybody. We serve a ridden Savior who changed the world. Now, let's um, you think about it. You want to change the world you live in? You want to change what's going on in this world? That's when we got to interject Jesus Christ into it. The reason it's going the way it's going is because Christ is not inside of it. It's a, he's a minority in, the, in this world. And if you want to change the world, Jesus Christ is the way to change the world. Amen? In his death on the cross, Christ paid for our sins. We know that. We know that that was a perfect sacrifice. We know that Christ went to the, to the cross for us. We know that he paid the, the sinless debt that he did not owe against a sin debt that I did owe. Man, he went to the cross for us. He paid for our sins. But in his resurrection, which is, again, the most important part of the grave, he, he gave us the opportunity to, to enter into God's presence. He gave us the opportunity to have eternal life. He, he gave us the opportunity for, for God himself to remove the curtain that was the barrier between us and him. It was the focal point. He gave us an opportunity to go into God's presence because of the resurrection. The believers in Corinth, when you look at Paul's writings, Paul had preached to them. They had received the word. They heard the word that Paul preached to them, and they had received the word. They had trusted Christ. They had been saved, and now they were standing on the word for their assurance of salvation. They knew that, but there were some, some concerns. Let me listen. Listen up, church. I'm gonna, this is very important right here. If you don't hit nothing else, this is what I want you to get. Listen to me. One, you've got to receive the word of God. What, do we, what happens when we receive the word of God? What happens when you receive anything? It's gotta, you got to bring it inside, right? When you receive something, you receive a gift or you receive something, you got to bring it inside. you got to receive the word of God. you got to trust in Jesus Christ. you got to trust in him, which means he gets the control. You turn everything over to him. You used to be in control, but now he's in control. You still can function, but you got to let God make the choices. you got to let Christ be in control. Number three, got to be saved. And then number four, got to stand on the word as assurance for your salvation. And I can't make it any simpler than that. That's as simple as it gets. God made it very simple. The fact that people of the church of Corinth were standing on our faith was proof that their faith was genuine. And it wasn't an empty faith. Just like it's an empty tomb produced a non-empty faith. That was number one. Proof number one. Proof number two is the gospel. 
Let's look at this. This is very important. The gospel is the most important message that the church has to proclaim. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how many programs we have. It doesn't matter how many meetings we attend. It doesn't matter how many fellowships we have, how many times we eat together, how many times we come into church together. If we're not proclaiming the gospel and sharing God's unconditional word then his, with his people, then what we're doing is not being obedient to what God has charged us to do. Amen? That's what it's all about. We can come into church and we get fed a little bit and we learn a little bit. And the preacher was on this week. He was off this week. Whatever, it doesn't matter. You've got to think about it. If we're not doing what God has charged us to do, we're not being obedient to his command and what he's charged this church to do. Am I stepping on toes this morning? It's my own. I'm telling you, I'm the, I'm the first one. The gospel message is the most important message the church can, can proclaim. Paul writes that he declared the gospel to them. So let's look at this. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? Brother Kerry, I can't share it if I don't understand it. I can't share it if I don't know what it is. How you want me to share something? I don't really understand it. I mean, that's not, it's not my job. You know, my job is to do this or that and the other, but I can't share it if I don't understand it. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That's what Paul says. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, according to the Word of God, according to what God inspired the writer to say, according to the Scripture, according to what is said in the Old Testament about what was going to take place, exactly the way it says in the Scripture. That is the gospel. These are the facts, and it's just the facts. These are the cold, hard facts. Give me the facts, and I want the truth. Isn't that what you want? Man, when I'm standing up here preaching to you, when I'm talking to you, when you're talking to anybody, you say, just give me the facts about it. Tell me the facts, and I want the truth. Don't give me anything that isn't the cold, hard facts, and don't give me anything that's not the truth. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. That's the gospel. These are the facts. There's no gospel apart from these three facts. Amen? And this is it. That's the three things you've got to know about sharing the gospel. There's no gospel apart from the facts. No gospel. That is the gospel is Jesus died for you. He died for me. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And why was it a borrowed tomb? Well, he wasn't going to need it, but for how many days? He wasn't going to need it. So it was a borrowed tomb. I mean, his tomb, his family tomb was a day's journey away, which where we would have permanently put somebody in a family tomb. But Jesus wasn't going to need the tomb but three days. And it was a borrowed tomb. It was a brand new tomb, freshly cut out of stone. It was borrowed. It was, he was put in there because he wasn't going to need it for long. And he arose from the grave and he defeated death. Now, that's the gospel and that's some very good news. Amen? Proof number three, eyewitnesses. Now, this is something I really had to study this week, and I had, in the middle of the week, I was having some, some trying to understand some parts about it, but, but it's all come together. Paul continued to provide proof of the resurrection. Paul lists a number of eyewitnesses. This is important. You just can't get enough eyewitnesses for any case, right? You can't get enough people agreeing with a certain thing and, and saying the same thing. Any lawyer today would love to have as many witnesses for his case as Apostle Paul give in this passage of Scripture for his case about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul mentioned first, he mentioned, he mentioned Cephas first. Cephas is Simon Peter. And while they have so many different names, I'm not familiar with that. I don't know. But he says it's Cephas first. Jesus comes to Cephas first, which is Simon Peter, to whom he appeared privately. you got to wonder, why did Jesus Christ come back and go see Peter privately? 
You think about it. Why you reckon? You're thinking about right now. Why would he just come back and see all the disciples all at one time? Well, he hits Peter up privately. Peter most likely needed a private meeting with Jesus after the resurrection. Amen? Man, a lot of things happened between the, the, the Garden of Gethsemane. A lot of things happened between when, when Peter was standing right next to Jesus and he cut the soldier's ear off until Jesus died on the cross. A lot of things happened with Peter during that particular time. A lot of things that might not have been totally pleasing uh, there's some things Peter had to get straightened out. Peter denied Christ three times between the time Jesus was arrested and the time of his crucifixion. Most likely, Peter needed to get a few things straightened out. Amen? There were some things he needed to talk about with the Lord, and it was a one-on-one issue. Have you ever felt that way? Man, have you ever felt that you needed some one-on-one time with Jesus Christ? Man, we've got to get some things worked out. You might say, well... I've I, I got to get some things in order before God can use me. I've got to get some things in order before I can, I can do what he wants me to do. Well, that might be the case. Let me tell you something. You might need to get some things straightened out before Christ can use you because he needs you on, on page with him. He needs you on point with him. You might, that might be the case, but let me encourage you to not delay in getting those things straightened out. Because he's ready to use you right now. He's ready to use you right now. Our God is still in the forgiving business, and that's one of the greatest things about him. Amen? Man, it don't matter what you've done. I mean, God is in the forgiving business. He is still in the foot-washing business. Amen? He's a humble servant. He's still in the foot-washing, forgiving business. So what you've done is not anything that he can't handle. Maybe you need some one-on-one time with him to get some things worked out. And God used Peter in a mighty way in the early church. We know that from this point on, God come into Peter. The, when he ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes into Peter. Man, Peter turns on fire for, for, for the Lord. Thousands and thousands of people are in heaven today because of the ministry of the apostle Peter. And God will use anybody. It don't matter what you do. It don't matter if you turn on him. He'll, he'll, he'll take you right back. All you got to do is turn right back to him. Paul continues to provide proof after proof. When he writes, Jesus appeared to the twelve. Now, I'm going to tell you something. This was, this was a little part that kind of got me to start with and study deep. Who are the twelve? And I talked to Stephen about this. I mean, I talked to Miss Jerry about this. But who are the twelve? He appeared to Peter privately, and then he appeared to the disciples. The twelve are used as a collective term of the body of disciples. It's not a numerical reference to how many disciples were there that he appeared to. The 12 is the, is the title for what the disciples were referred to as the 12. That's what they were called, even though there was not 12 when he appeared to them on this particular event. It does not necessarily mean 12 disciples were present. It is intended to indicate the number of disciples that are in a group. And that's how they were referred to as the 12. It says that he appeared to 500 all at one time. That's a lot of people all at one time, 500 different people. He was seen by 500. He was seen by James, most likely in a private meeting. Why was he seen by James in a private meeting? You think about it. Was James a believer when when Christ was crucified? This is his brother, James. No, James doesn't become a believer until after the resurrection. He was seen by James. He was seen again by the apostles. And lastly, Paul says he was seen by me. It's very difficult to argue with somebody who's seen Jesus, amen? And if you know Jesus Christ personally, it's hard to argue with somebody about that. When your life has changed, when Christ comes into your life and you're a different person, it's hard to argue with somebody about that. When you think about it, one of the greatest witnesses of the resurrection is the apostle Paul himself. When you think about it, Paul was an unbeliever before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. 
That's where his life changed. He was a witness at the crucifixion. He saw Christ die on the grave. He was one of the ones celebrating that Jesus was hanging on the cross. I mean, you think about somebody that Christ can use. I mean, you talk about somebody that was celebrating when Christ was crucified, hanging on the cross, uh, you know, giving up his last breath, someone who was proud of what he had done and made sure that he was part of the reason that he was there, celebrating, but yet in, in, in a, within a year's time, Christ comes to him on the road to Damascus, changes his life, see, sees Jesus Christ, he hears his voice, he knows who he is, he knows he's the risen Savior, and he's a different person from then on out, Amen. Man, that's amazing that, that God would use somebody like that. He was soundly convinced that Christ was dead. The radical change in Paul's life was certainly evidence that the Lord was indeed risen from the dead. Paul was a, uh, he went from a, a prosecutor. He went from a, a, the, the most hated person the Christian could uh, have to be an advocate for Jesus Christ. It was a radical change in Paul's life. Certainly, it's evidence that the Lord was raised from the dead. Paul made it clear in his writings, he made it clear that it was purely an act of God's grace that he was changed. God's mercy and his grace was the reason he had changed. And God's grace had worked in him and through him and served, and he served the Lord. Now, let's think about it. Salvation is the act of God's mercy and his grace. Man, he sent Christ, his own son, to the cross because of you and me. Because he had mercy and grace on us. Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and came to this planet as a man, a truly human being, completely human in every aspect of life. I mean, he had all the elements of life. He had the body. He had all the organs. He had all the, the functions of life. He truly was a man. He experienced all the ups and downs, the good and the bad experiences, all so that he could relate to us except for one thing. He never sinned. Man, he did every single thing else, but he never sinned. He understood everything that we were going to have to deal with, all because he loved us. I want you to point. I want to point to something about Paul's writing. What Paul is trying to say to us here. There's a specific point here, and he's going to use some if questions. And I want to share these questions with you. And you want to think about these because if questions are things that that spark your your debate about things, make you to understand. You think about this. If there's no resurrection, then Christ was not raised. If Christ was not raised, then there's no gospel to preach. If there's no gospel, then, there, then you have believed in vain, and you are still in your sins. That's not where you want to be, amen? So what proof he's trying to say, this is the point he's trying to make. If there's no resurrection, then believers who have died and gone on with no hope will never see them again. So the conclusion is obvious. And if all this is the case, if these if questions are, are the case, why be a Christian if we have all this suffering and no future glory to anticipate? But this is where it's different. The resurrection is what changes all that. That's why the resurrection makes it not just important. It is a first importance, and it is the most important part of the gospel. Because of all that we believe in, Christianity hinges on the resurrection. The gospel does not tell us something that we must do. The gospel tells us what Christ himself has already done for us and what God has done for us. We don't have to do anything but believe it and trust in it. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He, he was buried in a tomb, and he rose on the third day, all because he loved his people. How simple is that? Can you repeat that with me? He died for our sins. He was buried in a tomb, and he arose from the grave. That's the gospel message. I mean, that's God's unconditional love. God loved us so much that he sent his son to this world for that purpose, for that mission. He, Jesus did a lot of things between his birth and his death. 
Man, he performed a lot of miracles. He touched a lot of lives. He changed a lot of people. He made a difference in the world that he was walking through. But his mission was completed at the resurrection. God made it. John 3, 16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's agape love. That's a love that God has for all people. Ephesians 2, 8 says this. By grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It's a gift of God. Man is a sinner. And we inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve. It came down the gene pool chain all the way to us. We got that nature. Nothing we could do about it. We're a sinner. Can't save ourselves. We need a Savior. Romans 3.23 says this. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin creates a separation between us and God. And God had to do something about it. And he sent Jesus Christ to this earth to pay a sin debt that he didn't know. To hang on a cross for, for a sin that he didn't commit. All because he loved me and you. All because he wanted us to have eternal life. Romans ten thirteen says this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't leave anybody out. And it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been or how you've acted. It says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll change your life. He'll come into, if you invite him in, he'll come in. He'll change your life, and he'll change it forever. Friends, let me tell you something. I'll tell you this every week because it's so important to me. When we die, when we leave this planet, I'm going to tell you, people pass on every day. And our time on this life is very short. And wherever we go, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. There's only two choices out there. And it's either heaven or hell. And eternity is too long to be wrong. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I urge you to clear that up today. And today's, there's never been a better day than coming to know the Lord than today. Maybe perhaps today you would like to know without a shadow of a doubt that you are saved. That you're going home to heaven when you leave this planet to be with Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's as simple as that. If you open up your heart and you invite him in, Holy Spirit is just in coming. And when Jesus left this planet, when he ascended into heaven, he said, the helper's coming. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to be available for you. He's going to make a difference. He's, he can get in every single heart on every single planet that's around here. I mean, he can take care of it all. All you got to do is ask him to come in. You got to turn your life over to him and turn it over uh, and make him the Lord of your life. And in a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, this is a good time to come down and let's talk about it. Let's make that change today. Let me tell you something, church. Going to church won't get you to heaven. You may be coming to church. You may be a lifetime member here, but maybe you've never made that profession of faith. Maybe you've never turned it over to Jesus like you need to. This is a good day to do that because we're not promised our next breath. Man, we're not promised our next breath. And let me tell you something. We want to make sure. The Bible says you can be sure. I mean, you're known by your fruits. You're known by the things that, that, that come from your body. You're known by your actions. You're known by your lifestyle. I mean, we want to make sure. You want to be sure that you're going to heaven. Maybe there's others here. Maybe, maybe there's some rededication that needs to play, take place. Maybe we need to rededicate some, some things that have been going on, and we want to turn it over to the Lord. The altar is open. It's always open. Man, I'd love to pray with you. Our deacons love to pray with you. Whatever you have laid on your heart, if you want to bring it to the altar, bring it to the altar. If you want to pray where you are, you pray right where you are. It doesn't matter as long as you turn this over to the Lord. Let me tell you something. In a moment, 
will have that invitation. But this is a time for you and the Father to communicate one-on-one. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. This is just a strictly a vertical conversation that you have with the Father. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what you got planned for this afternoon. But you want to make sure that you get it right right now. Father God, I come before you with a humble heart. God, I just thank you for your word and the promises that are in your word. God, I thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for the fact that Christ went to the cross, that he died for me, that he was buried in a tomb that was borrowed. And God, that he rose from the the grave on the third day. God, that he didn't stay dead, that he's a risen Savior. And God, I thank you for that, and I praise you for that. And Father, I pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this day would be the day that they would come to know you. Father, for others in our congregation, God, whatever the, whatever the concern is, whatever the, the issue is, God, I just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit would just overpower this building today. God, that we would feel your presence like never before. And God, that, that we would move if moving is what, what you want us to do. Father, I lift it up to you and I place it in your hands. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.